Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. Good morning. Welcome to Red Sea Roundup. Today is Wednesday, July 8th, 2020, and I'm your host, Gene Wilhelm, and I have with me in the studio here, Thaddeus Romanski, and on the phone, Robin Waters. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Gene. Good morning. Good morning. How are you all doing? Great. I mean, I, you think I wouldn't know what I was doing. I didn't have my mic turned up, but otherwise I'm doing fine. Okay. Well, you've been hanging around me too long. Yeah, I know that's a problem. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and we're doing great up here in the Waco area. That's doing great. That's good. Uh, a couple of things. Uh, the saint of the day, uh, the one that I've chosen for today is Saint Maria Chiara. I don't do speak Italian well. Chiara. Chiara, I guess. Uh, she was born in 1872, uh, obviously in Italy, but with a name like that, and. She was pretty high-spirited as a young lady, and her parents were trying to get her into the social circles where she could get married, and she basically said no, and at the age of 20, her brother sort of smuggled her off to go to a uh, the Franciscan Missionaries of Mary, uh, where she joined the order, and she was shipped off to China, and she was a, a nun for like eight years. And okay. at 28, she was beheaded as a part of the Boxer Rebellion there where uh, the rebellion was trying to chase all of the European influences out of, out of China. Foreign devils is what Foreign they were called. Foreign devils is what they were called, yes. yes. And so— and uh, you know, Do you know why they were called Boxers? I, I doesn't have any— well, Because the name of that revolutionary group was the Brotherhood of the Righteous Harmonious— Fists, like like a oh, fist. Okay, hmm. so I that's why the Westerners called them boxers for short. Uh, I didn't realize that. Anyway, so it just tells me a couple of things. Number one, God can call you in a strange way to do things, but uh, that's you don't have to live a long life to be able to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. She Absolutely. accomplished everything God wanted her to do in eight years as a nun and twenty-eight years of life. Yep. Which reminds me of a priest that uh, was ministering at, or was associate pastor at the parish where I grew up. Uh, he did so much. Uh, he was from Ireland, so he was actually a missionary to Kansas, where I was raised. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the age of 27, he died of, I think, lung cancer. I don't know which kind of cancer it was, but he had a profound influence in the lives of our family. Uh, and I'm just, I'm just thoroughly convinced that he is up there praising God with the rest of the saints. We certainly hope he is. Certainly hope he is. we got something going on here t- for a celebration coming up. What is it, next Tuesday? Yeah. Yeah, indeed. It's the 10-year anniversary of KEDC. That's 88.5 FM in the Bryan College Station area. You're also hearing us on KYAR 98.3 in Waco, Central Texas, Lorena, and KINF 107.9 FM in Palestine, but for 10 years, we've had Red Sea Catholic Radio on the air here in the Bryan College Station area. 
and give them the details about the celebration we're going to have, Gene. Okay, the celebration is going to be next Tuesday at St. Anthony's Catholic Church in Bryan, Texas. And uh, it's going to begin at 4.30 uh, with adoration, benediction and adoration, and then Mass at 5.30. Mm-hmm. And you said a light snack after Mass? Some light refreshments, I light believe. Light refreshments? I believe Mrs. Darby Maka is going to be providing her world-famous chocolate chip cookies. Ooh! Outside after Mass, properly social distanced. That's worth the trip. Yes. Yes, yes. that is. But uh, this Tuesday is the day that St. Anthony's has their... Uh, their special devotion to St. Anthony. Right. They open up the uh, the tabernacle so you can see the relic. The reliquary. Reliquary. I'm sorry. I'm, it used to be a tabernacle. It it's did. a reliquary now. It did. And so uh, that would be quite a thing to be at. Uh, so we got that going on. And yeah, so Pal- Palestine listeners, Waco listeners, you can come down and celebrate with us if you want to. And find out how good those cookies really are. Yeah, and get that special blessing with the... First class relic. Yes, it is a first class relic, isn't it? It is indeed. It is indeed. Okay, that's a couple other things. I I didn't see much in the uh, bulletins for this week. Uh, one thing I'm going to mention is that uh, what I did see in a lot of the bulletins, and I've seen it for weeks now, uh, about email scams where people are trying to get you to yeah yeah to buy a Walmart card or something and and pay something. For donate to your church. It's a scam. I'm I mean, trying to run one of those myself. I'm not having a lot of success. No, I would imagine so. <laughs> Thanks for the uh, kind chuckle in the background, Robin. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so don't fall for those. Don't fall. For, there's so many scams going on right now with the coronavirus, so many more than, than typical. I At home, I imagine we get uh, at least five or six scam phone calls a day. Golly. So anyway, and there was a Saints Feast Day yesterday that you can talk about. Yeah, um, this is actually courtesy of a friend of the show, guest on the show, Dr. Michael Foley. He is a professor at Baylor. We've had him on the show a few times. And I hope to have him back soon. He is a... He's the author of several books that are designed to keep you well lubricated while helping you become more holy, uh, Drinking with the Saints, and uh, that... The way he's got that laid out, it's uh, the, the liturgical calendar, uh, but he uses the old calendar as the basis because there are so many more saints uh, to, to draw from. So on the old calendar before Vatican II, that yesterday was the feast day of St. Cyril Methodius, and that's a uh, special saint for my family because Robin and I were Robin Romanski, my wife, not um, Robin, Robin who's on the phone with us right now. Um, it, we were married at uh, St. Cyril and Methodius Church in Shiner, Texas. Mm. Very I, famous place. Yes, it is. Speaking of, of lubrication. Of people. <laughs> What's that? I said they're the patron saints of the Slavic people. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. And that's the other reason the why they— that's, that's the other reason why they're special to, to Robin and me, because Robin is quarter—sorry, half Czech, and I am a quarter Ukrainian. And so yesterday— um, we had some schnitzel. We had some uh, squash casserole. Uh, we had a blueberry cobbler homemade by the kids. Not necessarily. That's not necessarily a Slavic dish, but it was sure really good. <laughs> and we, uh, Robin and I, each had a vodka. 
cocktail at uh, cocktail hour, okay. uh, courtesy of Drinking with the Saints. So that was really, really, really fun yesterday. And uh, one of, in addition to bringing Christianity to the Slavic peoples, mm-hmm. Saint Cyril invented the Cyrillic alphabet, which you have in most of the Slavic nations. Uh, we probably see it more often when we think of Russia yes. than the other places. Yes. And he translated, as I understand it, he translated uh, the scriptures into Old Slavonic. Old Church Slavonic Old for Church. the liturgical yes. use, yes. And uh, speaking of Cyrillic, I made my children last night uh, a concoction with chopped up and smashed blueberries and strawberries with some grenadine on ice uh, with sparkling water. And it was sort of like a little little deal for them, and I called it a Cyrillic. Okay, that's good. And I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> okay, one other thing that I'd like to talk about today uh, is that uh, this last Monday, I guess it was, there were a lot of priests that were reassigned in the Austin Diocese. I know that here in the Bryan College Station area, uh, there is a new pastor at St. Joseph, Father Jason Bonifazi. Uh, there is a new assistant at St. Thomas Aquinas, Father Ron Feather. And uh, Father Paul Michael Piega is now uh, assistant pastor here at St. Mary's. And in on the August 14th, the newly ordained Father Chris Smith will be an associate pastor here at St. Mary's as well. Robin, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what has transpired up in the central Texas area? Yeah, we've had some priest changes also. Uh, I don't think quite as many as you had in your area, but uh, Father Boniface on Jeffu, who was at McGregor, is now the pastor at St. Joseph's in Waco. And Father Albert Ruiz, who was the pastor at St. Joseph's in Waco, has uh, replaced Father Boniface at St. Eugene's McGregor and also at the Mission Church of Our Lady of San Juan in Moody. So those those two priests have basically just swapped places. Uh, they have a new priest over in Gatesville, who, and he's also the pastor at St. Thomas in Hamilton. His name is Father Jay Poleshity. I probably butchered his last name, but Father Jay is in Gatesville and Hamilton now, and I know they're, they're happy and blessed to have him there. And then over at St. Louis in Waco, they have a new associate pastor. Actually, his official title is the parochial vicar, uh, Reverend Fernando Sainz, uh, S-A-E-N-Z. And uh, I know we, we, we want to welcome all those guys to the Central Texas area, all those blessed priests that are here to, to bring us the Lord. This gives us an excellent opportunity for a prayer uh, because uh, I think about a priest and how he— He's, he is obedient to his bishop, which means that many times it may not be his personal choice to make a change of assignment, but the bishop has decided uh, for one reason or another to assign the priest in another area. And I have, having resettled a couple of times in my lifetime, I know that that can be a very difficult process. So I, I would I would ask everybody here to pray for the priests who've been reassigned, and maybe the priests, if they're uh, if they're an associate or something, maybe the priest with whom they're now living, so that everything works out for the best. Yeah, and I would, uh, our, as our PSA announcement for these changes uh, encourages you put put them under the protection of uh, Saint John Vianney and our, our Blessed Mother, especially yes. Saint John Vianney is the the patron saint of parish priests. Yes, he is. He is also a, a man to pray to uh, if you are troubled with uh, 
strange things happening in your life because he is one who um, that uh, we've probably talked about this before that he would go to sleep at night and the devil would set his bed on fire. So he he knows how to deal with all the attacks of the evil one. All right. Yes. Remember that well. as well, folks. And remember that as well. Wow. I had forgotten about his de- his bed being set on fire. Yeah. The other thing I would say that we should pray for is that uh, the parishes who've lost a priest that maybe they were very in, in attached to, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the parishes that are having that they have an easier time of assimilating the new priest into their family, indeed. Because, like I say, it could be very difficult for them, and I'm I'm sure that it can be difficult for pa- uh, parishioners as well when mm-hmm. a change is made mm-hmm. like that. And that reminds me that. Uh, Father Eduardo Elizondo, who uh, re- is retiring, he was out at Brenham for, for quite oh, a yes. number of years, and he's going into his retirement. So let's let's remember him in, in our prayer this morning. Okay. Yes, yes. Uh, and then you said you had something as we wrap up. We've got about two minutes. You wanted to give a little sh- uh, reflection on the upcoming gospel for this weekend, the right? The gospel for this weekend is the parable of the sower. You know, where the, par- the sower went out to sow his seed, and some fell on the path, and some fell... On among the rocks, and some fell among the thorns, and some fell on good ground. Now, one of the things you have to understand about this is that in in those days, they didn't have a John Deere tractor with a drill to drill down and plant the seeds in nice, neat rows. They didn't? No, they actually scattered them. So they did as best as they could to get them in the areas that they wanted the seed, but it didn't always happen that way. So it... If you understand that, it makes it a little bit easier. Uh, and and uh, you and I discussed this uh, several weeks ago, how I think that each of us has the various soils in our hearts. Yes. And it's, it's talking about getting your soil, the soil of your heart prepared to receive the seed. And, and uh, I don't think in Matthew it says this, but in Luke it talks about the seed being the Word of God. And so uh, the question that, that for all of us really is, is, is the seedbed of your heart prepared to receive the Word of God so that it can sprout and grow and bear fruit? Because that's the purpose of planting the seed, is to bear fruit, uh, as we'll see in the following Sunday, a seed for the sower and bread, bread for the eating. And so there are several ways that you can do that. There are things that we can do in our own lives. We can get rid of those hard places in our lives where we allow people to walk all over us, and, and maybe we've got a jaundiced th- thought of what's going on. We the pathways of our life. Uh, there are areas of our life where we're carrying around all these things from the past that we won't let go of, which are the stony places in our lives. And then you've got the, the thorns, of course, of where we get too tied in with the world. And then you've got the good soil. Are we willing to do that for ourselves? Or are we allowing, or willing to allow other people to do that, help us do that? And are we willing to help other people do that in their lives? And we'll be back after the break with Father Augustine, from St. Peter's in Waco, and we look forward to seeing you then. Hello, welcome back to Red Sea Roundup. I'm your host, Gene Wilhelm, and my guest today is Father Augustine Arawado. Did I say that correctly? 
Arewaldo. Yeah, you were very close. Very close. Well, you know, my tongue sometimes get doesn't work that well. Uh, so, <laughs> Father Augustine is uh, the uh, I guess we'd call the pastor or the uh, main person main person for St. Peter's Catholic Church Director. In, uh, Catholic Center. <laughs> Director, chaplain. Director of St. Peter's Catholic Center in Waco, Texas. Uh, yes. which is the main Catholic ministry for all of the Catholics that are going to Baylor. And, uh, Father, you have—we we talked a, a, a while back and haven't done much talking since then, but you've had a rather interesting life. You are not from this country. You are—we were talking a little bit earlier about uh, St. Cyril and Methodius, whose feast day was yesterday, who were missionaries to, to the Slavs. And the saint of the day we talked about was Saint Maria, who was an Italian who was a who was a missionary uh, to the people of China, who died at very early death. In a in a real sense, I I see you as a missionary to our country. But tell us a little bit about your background. Oh yeah, well thank you so much for having me today. Uh, it's a, a great honor and privilege. Um, yes, my name is Father Augustine Ariwaldo. I was originally born in Nigeria. Um, I came to this country in pursuit of my vocation. I started my seminary training in Nigeria, and I came to the U.S. in 2008. Uh, first, I joined a diocese in Georgia, Savannah Diocese, and then from there, uh, the Lord brought me to Austin. Um, I fell in love with Austin, fell in love with the diocese, uh, continued my training here, and eventually was ordained in 2013. Um, I come from a very Catholic background, both parents. My dad, who is late now, uh, was a, a parish administrator back home uh, in my home parish. My mom was uh, a catechist. Uh, she's always been involved in the church. And... I have a uh, sister, an older sister, who is a nun. And, yeah, my family has been very traditional, very Catholic. And that's a huge blessing and a gift that the Lord gave me through my parents and my siblings, uh, which inspired me to want to become a priest. And you're not the only priest in this diocese that comes from Nigeria. I've, I've encountered several in this diocese that have come from Nigeria. Uh, so there must be a very strong Catholic community in Nigeria that fosters uh, the faith and fosters vocations. Yes. Uh, the Nigerian culture, I would say the African culture in general, is very spiritual, um, very worship-oriented, expressive, um, fun, if you like. There's a lot of <laughs> dancing and singing, uh, expression of joy, uh, even during times of difficulty. So it's, it's a, a culture where uh, faith is key and central, and expressing that faith is always seen as necessary and even mandatory. Um, so th that's the, the environment where you see a lot of people going to church, um, trying to participate, I remember becoming an altar server um, the day we were uh, kind of installed as altar servers formally, 
I was part of a group of about 15 kids. Wow. Uh, it felt like ordination, <laughs> really, because <laughs> it was a special honor, special uh, privilege, uh, special responsibility. And, um, of course, from then on, uh, everyone viewed you as dedicated to God. Of course, people watched you, wanted to see, saw you as an, a special example for their kids, for everyone else, and they supported you. So that's where my desire for the seminary and becoming a priest kind of took off from, um, being an altar server. You talk about the worship there in Nigeria. When what you're talking about is the uh, the emoting that is there, the dancing and and the joy and the singing and all that. That sounds very much like what you, if you read the Old Testament, what the Israelites or the Hebrew people would did, what God commanded them to do. You know, with the in in Hebrew there are like uh, twelve. 12 different words for, or maybe it's maybe it's seven different words for praise, and one of them is to dance. Uh, mm-hmm. And we see that Dan, David danced before the Lord and, and wasn't always accepted by everybody, especially his wife, Michael. So, <laughs> you know, what, what I hear you saying is that uh, what happens there in Nigeria is, is very much what God loves. And I think sometimes we sit on our hands too much when we're trying to worship God. Yes. Well, it's, I think it's, it's, it's a cultural thing. It depends on the culture and how the culture expresses its uh, faith and spiritual uh, principles and values. Um, in the Western culture, dance could mean so many different things. Um, but in the African culture, a dance is always an expression of... It's a language of its own. Um, it's a way of... You may not be able to say what you want to say, but just by your movement, you can express what's on your mind, especially within the context of maybe if it's a funeral, a funeral dance can express sorrow in, in a loss, but also express hope at the same time. Uh, if it's in a church setting, a, a church dance expresses joy, being in the presence of God, but it also expresses submission and total dependence on God, because when you're dancing before him, you're, it's an expression of, okay, you're my Lord, I'm submitting completely to you, but using my body uh, to do that, to express that. So uh, there's a lot of symbolism and meaning in dance when it comes to the African culture. Yes, it's not it, just a social event, a social act or a fun act. It's uh, a way of communicating. Okay. And you said that, that when you were commissioned as an altar boy, that was the beginning of your realizing that you might have a vocation. How did that progress, Father Augustine? Yeah. Before that, um, my, my desire to become a priest actually started when I was way young, like six years old. Um, um, there was a priest, well, my parish priest, we'll call them parish priest, a pastor of my, my home parish, who was a very good man. My mom was very involved with the parish. Uh, she, she made clothes. She was very good at it. She would make altar clothes, uh, altar coverings. Uh, she made chasubles. She, she made vestments. Uh, the only thing she couldn't make was the, the, the sutan, we call it the sutan, the, the cassock, because she said that's too complicated. Mm-hmm. But she made, she could make um, the habits for the nuns. She made uh, the alb, 
uh, she she was very good. She made vestments and gave out as gifts to, you know, people, uh, young men who were getting ordained. That was very generous um, so, of her. Yeah, so she was very involved with the parish. And when this pastor was there, uh, she, he was her pastor, of course, and she worked with him. Eventually, he died in an accident. Uh, she told me the story that she loved him so much. Uh, because of his example, his holiness, his life, um, she, she felt like he was a living saint. Mm -hmm. And when I was young, I mean, when I was very little, she would always tell me the story of this pastor over and over and over. And after a while, I got bored and tired of hearing it. But she wouldn't stop. Mm -hmm. So I kind of was like, okay, I'm done. done. You've said this like a million times. Stop telling me this story. But she was... She was very convinced that this is a man who is holy, that I was supposed to imitate this man. Uh, even though I was tired of hearing the story, it stuck with me. And that was where, when based on that story, that I decided, you know what? I want to be like this man who had this kind of impact of my mom and her spiritual life. I want to be like this man. Now, I never told my mom this, but it stuck with me, and that was how the seed uh, was planted so, uh, based on the story of a man that I never even met. So how how did you enter the seminary? Did you do it at a very early age, or or did you go through some college, or how did that happen, Father Augustine? Oh, and incidentally, my guest today is Father Augustine from St. Peter's in Waco. If you have a comment or a question, we'd be happy to have you call us at 85-LOVE-RED-C. That's 855-683-7332. And this goes not only for our listeners here at KEDC 88.5 in the Brazos Valley, but those of you up in the central Texas area, KYAR 98.3 and KINF 107.9 in Palestine. We'd be happy to have you call and talk with us. Okay, so how, how did you get into the seminary, and what, what was the path that you took there? Because it sounds like it was kind of a convoluted path before you got to where you were ordained. Yes. Uh, my story is very interesting. Um, even though I, I came from a very Catholic family, um, I have a nun, a, a sister who's a nun, an aunt who's a nun. I was surrounded by priests and seminarians. Um, I still wasn't sure of what my path was going to look like. I know I had a desire. You know, people ask me now, when did you know you were going to become a priest? You actually don't know until it happens, because <laughs> that's where the the understanding that it's God who calls, and, you know, it's until he calls you and confirms it, you never know. So, but as a teenager, I had this desire, uh, still, based on the story that I was told as a kid, that I wanted to be a priest. But in my teenage years, uh, with all the teenage mindset and thinking, I wasn't sure which way I was going to go. So after high school, I thought, okay, I'm just going to look at all the options that I have, um, go to college, study. Um, I wanted to be a lawyer, actually. Uh, I was interested in international law. I was hoping to be a diplomat someday. You know, it, this may be funny. This may sound weird, but my desire growing up, especially as a kid, was I, I always listened to international news broadcasts, uh, Voice of America, BBC, and the center, the, one of the most controversial news items was always the conflict between Israel and Palestine. 
I listened to that a lot and all the developments in the Middle East. So I I kind of promised myself that one day I was going to be that diplomat that would reconcile both sides. I don't know why. I was so obsessed with it. So I decided I was going to study international law and be a diplomat and fix it. I wanted Israel and Palestine to get along. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. So that was my dream. That was my desire. But at the same time, I was still I had still had this this great fire in me that I was being called to be a priest. So it's almost... Are you there? I'm sorry. Uh, Father Augustine uh, is, is on the phone with us from Waco, St. Peter's in Waco, and it sounds like you might have just a small interruption. Uh, again, if you'd like to talk to him... Call us at 85-LOVE-RED-SEA. That's 855-683-7332. Uh, and I would think uh, you've got a real blessing there with Father Augustine because he was here at St. Mary's, and I know what a blessing he is. So those folks of you in the Waco area who are not familiar Hello? with him, this would be an opportunity to get to know him. So, Hello? Yes. Yes, Father. Yeah, I'm back. Okay, you're back. Yes. So you were talking about how you were had this kind of internal struggle between being a uh, uh, an international diplomat and being a priest. Hello. Hello, Father. Are you there? Yes. Yes. Okay. You were, you were talking about the internal struggle you were having between being a diplomat and a priest uh, when you were in, at college age. Is that correct? Could you elaborate yeah. on that a little bit? Yeah, so, yeah, so, so what, I had these two, it's almost like uh, pulling me in different directions, but not necessarily in opposite directions, so I had this strong desire to be a priest, but also to be this great reconciler, fix all the problems in the world, um, and at the time, it was the, the Palestine and Israel problem that I wanted to fix, so after high school, I decided I was going to look at all my options. Uh, take the exam, entrance exam to college, and also apply to religious communities. I always wanted to be a member of a religious community. Uh, diocesan life didn't quite appeal to me because I felt like my spiritual life, my desire for holiness, uh, my prayer life would blossom more in the religious community. Uh, so that was how I felt at the time. So I started applying to different religious communities, um, the Dominicans, the Schoenstatt, um, mm. the Redemptorists, so all the different, many different communities, the Claritians, um, at, you know, who were in Nigeria at the time. I even had interviews, they invited me, and then eventually I was accepted into the Schoenstatt uh, community training. Uh, to become a seminarian and to study with them. So that was how my journey started. Um, that was... Uh, but eventually you became a diocesan priest. Yes, I became a diocesan priest because it was part of my journey, my my interesting roller coaster journey. <laughs> um, how it happened was I, I finished my uh, four years of, uh, of undergrad studies in philosophy, got my degree, and did my novitiate with the Schoenstatt, and then started theology. Um, mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, a year, a year before my deacon ordination, 
I was kicked out of the community. <laughs> Which probably was a, a real uh, downer at the time, but it turned out to become a blessing, correct? Yes. I When that happened, well, I, I think it's part of the reason that happened was also my immaturity and the way I, you know, I dealt with things, the way I responded to people. Uh, so that was part of the reason why that happened. Um, so, so I felt like maybe God was telling me, this is, this is not your place. This is not your vocation. You know, you go find something else. So I thought, okay, that's it. Um, I'm going to, you know, look for what God is calling me to. Um, obviously not being a priest. So I thought my vocation to the priesthood was over. So I decided to go to the ordination of my classmates um, so I can be there and see them get ordained and then move on because I felt that that was the way to get closure for what happened. Um, and at the time I was sick, so I that ordination ended up taking me back to the hospital where I, I was very sick. Now fast forward after that, um, I thought, okay, now this is all settled. Um, no, no more going to be a priest. I should, you know, find a good job, find a good woman, get married, settle down, because usually that's that's what people say in Nigeria. You need to settle down. So, but the part of the challenge at the time was, it was like I had disappointed everyone who was waiting for me and hoping that I was becoming a priest. So I lost many friends. I lost all those who were close to me. Uh, it felt like um, I had disappointed them. Uh, I was alone at the time. I was very sad. Um, mm. I was depressed. So it's, I had to almost like, I felt like I was beginning to rebuild my life all over. So oh. it gave me the time to ask myself, what's the purpose of my life? Now that this one is not working, what is it? Who am I? What is God calling me to do? What does he want me? Who does he want me to be? And what's the mission that he has for me? And how did you, uh, how did you discover that, Father? Uh, well, I, I struggled with that for a while. Um, in that process, one of the things that helped me was it, I was able to f discover my true friends. Uh, I had a few friends who stuck with me, who encouraged me always told me I was going to be okay, even though I didn't believe that, because my experience was like everything was falling apart. Why are you telling me it's going to be okay? Um, but they kept telling me it was going to be okay. And then secondly, at the time, I had no job. I, hadn't, I, didn't, I wasn't doing much. So I thought, okay, I've never had the chance to read the Bible in a way that I give it real, all my all, my time and attention. So I thought, okay, I'm going to use this time to go through the scriptures and see what, I, what the Lord is trying to tell me. So I started, as it was almost like a project from Genesis to Revelation. Um, it took me like three, four months. I was reading every book, every page, every paragraph. I read everything. I took notes. Uh, eventually, I compiled those notes into a book, a personal book that I still use still today. But that was one experience that changed my life, that had made me realize the treasure in the scriptures. If I didn't have that chance, um, I wouldn't have been able to have that experience. How did that Today, I, I always tell people when they ask me what's your favorite book, I tell them it's the Bible. 
not just because that's a good answer, but okay. because of my experience. So what were the circumstances that, that you ended up going into seminary again? How did, how did that happen? Because we, we, you t- you're telling us about what is there, what has happened in your life, which I'm, I'm assuming also is something that is very helpful to you when a, st- a college student, either here like at St. Mary's when you were here or at St. Peter's, comes to you and says, my life is in total disarray, that you've got something, a story to tell them and in a way that you can have compassion and empathy with them that maybe another priest wouldn't be able to have. Yes. So what happened was um, <clears throat> during this time, as I was trying to kind of rediscover who I am and what God wants for me, for my life, um, a friend who was also in, in the Shonset community, but he left by himself and he came to the States. Uh, he was ordained in Savannah, Georgia, the Diocese of Savannah. And he came home to Nigeria to visit and he called me and said, okay, what's going on with you? And we met. I told him what was going on. And he said, well, do you still want to be a priest? I said, I don't know. I really don't know at this time because I was exhausted. I was tired of the whole thing. He said, well, my diocese still needs priests. If you are interested, I can go talk to my bishop and, you know, we'll take it from there. I said, well, if, if you'd like to do that, I'll appreciate it, but I didn't really know if I want to go that go down that route anymore at this time. So he came back to the States to talk to his bishop, and then they sent me an invitation letter. Wow. Um, so that was how I came over to the States, uh, to Savannah, Georgia, and eventually um, became... Uh, stayed there with a, in a parish and be, started making friends, um, and then after a year, um, I was sent to the seminary, uh, St. Vincent Seminary in Latrobe, but uh, I had to discern that I needed a different place, and the Lord was calling me somewhere else. So I started looking around, and I, a friend of mine who was also from Savannah there, a parish there, a very close friend that I met there, said, you know what, um, I... I did my master's at uh, Texas A&M. I know at the time, Father Mike Sis, who's now Bishop Mike Sis, uh, he's a good man. Would you like to talk to him? I said, sure. And so she gave me his contact, and I emailed him. And Bishop Mike was so gracious. He responded and said, well, if you, if you want to join our diocese, come over. And I came to visit, and the first time I visited Austin, I fell in love. I felt like this was home. And it something told me this is where the Lord is calling you, wow. which I never thought about. You know, the first time I heard Austin, I thought, where is that? I didn't, I've never heard of Austin before. But then the Lord brought me, and that was the, how I my journey to Austin happened. And our, our, my guest today is Father Augustine from St. Louis Catholic Center in Waco. Uh, he's telling his story, and we're going to get talked here in a second, we're going to talk about what is actually happening in Waco with him. Uh, if you would like to talk to Father Augustine, or if you have a question for him, whether you're listening on KEDC 88.5 in the Brazos Valley, or KYAR 98.3 in second Central Texas, or KINF 107.9 in Palestine, give us a call at 85-LOVE-RED-SEA. That's 855-683-7332. So, Father Augustine, let's let's fast forward a little bit. So you, you entered the seminary, and then you went through all the process, 
and eventually you were ordained. And what was your first assignment? Yeah, my first assignment was at St. Vincent de Paul in Austin. And my first pastor is now Bishop Danny Garcia. <laughs> and he was a wonderful mentor. Um, it was great to be with him. Um, I learned from him. He was very fatherly and compassionate, uh, which I needed at the time. Um, so that was very, very helpful for the first year. Um, I, I loved being there, made a lot of friends. Uh, I was still learning what it means to be in ministry, and he gave me the opportunity to, to be present, to make friends, to be me, um, to give my best, but also to be able to make mistakes and learn from them. So that was very, very helpful. And so where were you and assigned then, after I, that? And then my second assignment was uh, St. Louis here in Waco. And yeah, it was wonderful. It was great. Uh, I was with Father John Gisaldo at the time uh, as an associate pastor, and it was great. It's, it's still today, still today, a great community, a great parish. Um, very kind, very welcoming, very friendly, very generous people. Um, so I was there for two and a half years. Um, yeah, I left in tears, actually. I was I, I wanted to stay because I loved I loved the place so much. Still love the place. That's where I live now, at a, at a rectory. So and then after that, um, I came to St. Louis at, in 2014. I I moved in 2017, first to San Jose, back in Austin, and I was there for a few months. <laughs> I still had my stuff in the bag when I was told. Yeah, you know, we know we think you'd be good at St. Mary's in College Station. I was like, campus ministry? That's not me. <laughs> I was terrified. <laughs> uh, it did not show when you were here, to be honest with you. The, 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 the sorrows that you may have experienced in being sent here and in the way you ministered, it did not show any of that. Okay, so the reason was the, my first year was I was very insecure, very, very insecure, uh, and I wanted, I was just always conscious of trying to please people, trying to do what's right, trying to make sure I was uh, ministering well. There was, there was a lot of insecurity that I, that I, that I came with um, because campus ministry was, it's, it's a different kind of ministry. But after a while, I, I realized that I just needed to be me and give my best as me and not worry about who liked it or who didn't like it, uh, and just be present and give my best with my gifts and trust God. So when, it, when I got to that point, what happened was I said, okay, I'm just going to do this, because the Lord spoke to me and said, and said well, you, you're trying your, really hard, but you're trying to please men instead of pleasing God. Why not try pleasing God first, and then everything falls into place? So that was what I did, and then it, things became, it felt better from there. Things fell into place. Obviously, obviously, or the bishop wouldn't have assigned you to St. Peter's. I mean, the assignment to St. Peter's shows that you'd finally turned it over to God, and you were, you were really doing a good job with what you were doing. The bishop would not have given you St. Peter's as an assignment as the director there if he'd, 
if it hadn't been obvious that you'd become a good minister to students? Yes. What happens is usually we don't know. We don't. It's it's hard to believe in yourself sometimes, even when God believes in you. Not because you're awesome, but because He knows what He's given you and what uh, the gifts that He's given you, and His grace is always enough. You know, we don't always feel like it's enough, but God knows it's always enough. Uh, so I'm, I'm I'm very grateful to the bishop and those uh, at the diocese who have entrusted me with uh, all these years with campus ministry, and they, they believed that I, I had the gifts and what it takes. I'm really grateful to them, and most important, but most importantly, I'm grateful to God, who's always been there, even in my insecurities, to be able to use even my insecurities and my weaknesses to help me through uh, to minister to people. Well, um, that's I'm, I'm always grateful. That's, that's always something that gives me joy and peace. I'll say again, it sounds as though your whole life was a preparation to become what you are at St. Peter's in Waco. And yeah. now, I'd like to transition a little bit. Tell us a little bit about St. Peter's. Uh, there may be people in the it, that are listening audience that don't know about St. Peter's and what it is and who you minister to and, and what type of ministries you have. Tell us a little bit about St. Peter's. Well, St. Peter's is a great, a great place. It, it has a, a long history, uh, and it's come a long way. Um, uh, uh, my uh, father Daniel was was uh, a predecessor. He did a great job. He built the community, and I met a very thriving, lively, active community of both students and permanent parishioners. Um, people love being here. People feel at home here. And that's something that I really want to keep promoting, uh, especially for our students, because it's a Catholic student center. Um, uh, our mi mission statement is to nurture the spiritual growth of our faith community through worship, education, fellowship, and service, all within the Catholic tradition. And we're trying to do that uh, in different ways, but most especially through the sacraments uh, we have Monday to Friday, Monday to Saturday, we have daily mass, uh, adoration, and confession. Uh, we, we have, during when the students are here, we have Wednesday brunch, uh, where the community comes together and eats together and have a time, good time. Uh, we also have the laudate, the praise and worship and adoration uh, experience. It's a powerful experience. Um, and we have all ministries going on. But in the midst of all this, it sounds like we're doing so much. Uh, but for me, uh, the priority is no, no, not so much about doing, but about being. Um, my, what has made me love and be effective in campus ministry is being present with uh, the students, being there, listening to them, connecting to, with them in a personal way. Um, being able to know that each person is different from the other, and each person comes from a different place, and each person is unique and brings something unique. Um, what I've discovered is there's a lot, just like I felt insecure, uh, many of these kids feel insecure. They're not aware of a lot of the gifts that they have. 
So part of my job is to be able to make them aware of what they can bring um, and who they are and that they are important to the Lord and their faith is a gift and it's precious and they have it even if they don't believe it. So that's uh, one of my goals. And, and you, I think that's and you have people, goal. excuse me, and you have people like Focus Missionaries and others helping you to do that. Yes. We do have uh, the Focus Missionaries. They're awesome. They're great. Um, they're trained to do that uh, through the small groups, uh, Bible study groups, one-on-one meetings with students, um, campus presence, um, being able to encourage students to also come to Mass, uh, come to uh, receive the sacraments, confession, uh, be present for adoration, uh, but also uh, participate in ministry. We have a good number of ministries uh, here at St. Peter's. Uh, we have the CSA, uh, the Catholic Students Association, that's uh, kind of the bridge between St. Peter's and Baylor campus. And they've grown this year. They've really grown. They've become much more robust and expressive and effective in in the activities, in reaching out. Uh, we count on them a lot to be able to reach those students that we cannot reach on our own because they are the, the main organization that's recognized on campus as Catholic. So when we have adoration on campus, we, we organize that through CSA. Um, last Lent, during the last Lenten season, we had, we distributed ashes on campus uh, with the help of the CSA too. So we're trying to build them up and encourage them uh, to remain that strong bridge between us and, and Baylor campus. And there's a lot and larger, course, there's a lot larger Catholic population on the Baylor campus than most people would believe. Uh, yeah, that's, that's true. That's very true. And that's what I'm counting on, not just on Baylor, but on MCC and uh, TSTC, I think. Um, we're trying, uh, even though this place looks small, um, I, I see a great potential here. And I'm trying to, I'm asking the Lord to show me how to reach out to those people, um, especially those who, who feel like left out, who feel like they don't belong or they don't, they don't their faith is kind of uh, not where it should be. Um, my main, one of the, my main goals is to be able to reach out to them. Uh, 17% of uh, Baylor population is Catholic. That's thousands of students. Um, so we're trying to get to all of them and to help them see that we need them. We don't just want them, but we need them. Yes, that's, that's so important, isn't it? And, and uh, you have so much going on there. Eh? You were telling me that, that in addition to some of the things you were talking about, you've got Bear Awakening. Uh, you, you've got quite a few, you had quite a few people in, in your RCIA program considering the size of the campus and you have several yeah. vocations. Can you elaborate a little bit on some of those? Yes. Uh, Baylor Awakening is, yeah, the last, the, my first experience, of course, was the last year, and it was great. Um, what I found so amazing is the fact that the students could, could come together en masse in a large group and organize such a spiritual uh, powerful experience for other students 
first to get connected to one another, to feel a sense of family and belonging, uh, but also to explore their own spiritual life and strengths and weaknesses in a way that they, they can reach down deep down inside and have a powerful encounter with the Lord uh, over time. My understanding about awakening is that one of the reasons it's so effective is it's student to student, uh, and and the the all of the uh, problems that that young people maybe have with an adult uh, trying to force something down their throats go away because they can see not only there but with even with the focus missionaries that you don't have to be a dud to be a Catholic Christian that that you can be a very alive and very vibrant and be very popular among people. Uh, and and be a Catholic. I mean, you don't have to be the wild, crazy person on campus to be able to do those things, to, to have that kind of uh, influence on people. That's true. That's that's very true. That's very true. Um, and it's 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 great that it's it's mostly organized and and you know set up the structure is by the students themselves. Um, we, of course, I do give some oversight and guidance, uh, but the fact that they, they, they set this up in a way that it's beneficial to the students and it gives the students that space to be able to express their faith, learn from each other, um, grow in communion and community life, and be connected in a way that they see one another as brother and sister uh, while going through this powerful experience uh, with each other. Uh, I think that's very, very valuable. That's, that's wonderful. What, what, uh, what is one of the biggest or what are the greatest needs that St. Peter's has at this time? And we'll talk a little bit beyond that, how some of our listeners could be involved in helping to meet those needs. I, did we lose him? Might have lost Father Augustine. Oh, no. Uh, I don't see him on the phone over there. I think we may have lost Father Augustine. We've, we've been having a few technical difficulties here today. Uh, uh, one of the things that Father Augustine told me when, when uh, we had a conversation earlier is that uh, those of you who have been to St. Peter's know that, that the constraints of the physical facility that they have is, is, is to some extent limiting uh, the, the uh, size and effectiveness of their ministry. Uh, the, the, the plant itself uh, is, is uh, hemmed in on all sides by um, other housing, and uh, so that's one thing that's there that is a problem. So uh, we, we really encourage you, and I'm going to ask Father Augustine to help understand how you can participate in this. Uh, while we're waiting for Father Augustine to come back, I will again tell you that we're listening to Father, uh, we're having a conversation with Father Augustine from St. Peter's Catholic Center in Waco. And if you would like to contact him or talk with him right now, I would invite you to call 85 Love Red Sea. That's 855 Love Red Sea. Father, are you back with us? Father, are you still are you back with us? Yes, I'm back now. Okay, I, I mentioned a little bit about what you told me that, and and my own observations when I was at St. Peter's that probably your biggest limitation right now is the space that you have. Yeah. So. Yes. 
Yeah, we're, we're trying. We're looking to maximize our space. Um, I wish we could expand in terms of the 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 the, the environment in general, um, but uh, we are landlocked. But we're trying to see if uh, we can buy a little more space around us. Uh, mm-hmm. See if uh, there are places around that we can we can buy. Um, but in trying to maximize and make the best out of what we have is we're trying to see if we can increase the seating capacity in the church uh, by changing the pews and also um, uh, redoing uh, the sanctuary and adding stained glass windows mm-hmm. to, to make the worship space more uh, inspiring and, and conducive for prayer. Father, I'd like to continue. We're down to less than a minute here uh, okay. of time that we've got. Quickly, how can people contact you at St. Peter's, both the website and phone number, if you would? Oh, yeah. Uh, they can go to our e- uh, website at baylorcatholic.org, and my email address is fatheraugustin at baylorcatholic.org, and Father Augustine will be F-R-A-U-G-U-S-T-I-N-E at baylorcatholic.org. Uh, that's my email address. Okay, thank you, Father Augustine. Uh, I appreciate so much that you spent this time with us this week, and I look forward to seeing you again very soon. Again, my guest, my guest was Father Augustine from St. Peter's in Waco, and I invite all of you, when choosing between the values of heaven and the values of earth, always round up. Out of love and mercy.